The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. I love that you did a little 3-2-1. I uh, did a Fofop with Gareth today on the day that we're recording this. People will have already been able to hear it. It will be up already by the time this comes out. But uh, Gareth said at the start of the dollop when they're recording in different places, mm-hmm. like Dave will go 1-2 and then Gareth will say 3-4 to give the correct timing so it can be like synced. Well, so like, so you like, well, we're in the same room, so it's probably a little unnecessary in this scenario. But if we were in different places, you would go one, two, and I would go three, four, and it gives you a sense of what the timing timing and the delay is. So you then you just chop that distance out of each exchange. Is that the idea? I mean, we didn't did talk about that for 20 minutes of whether it was actually helpful (laughs) or not. And I'm not sure it is, to be honest. But I would love Podcast Mike to let us know because... You know, obviously, when you do TV shows and stuff, they'll do a clap. Yep. Like, on Gruen, like, we were doing, like, you have a clapper. Like, you know, Mm. it's an old-fashioned, like people would imagine, that sort of, you know, that piece of wood with the little bit that flips off the top. A clapperboard. That's still what they use. And so, Russell was in a different studio in Melbourne, but he would have his own clapperboard. And so, they would count down from 10, and then he would clap. Uh, Sorry, we would clap. And then he would, when he heard it, clap. Yeah. And I was like, but then we would spend like an hour and a half shooting a TV show, like, you know, stopping, having to fix a microphone, do all these things. Are you telling me that when someone edits a television show, it's still helpful to have that clap at the start? Do you think yes. that is still a helpful thing? To 100%. Do? As someone who's edited TOEFOP videos before, when we've done like the full, recorded the full episodes, like the, because... Sync can be a bit rubbery, even with like, you know, the best camera shooting 4K, sometimes frame rates shift. And there's many times editing TOEFOP that it would start getting out of sync. And I wouldn't notice straight away. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> We're both mumblers. It's hard to lip read. Uh, but then, because we had the- this is dubbed. No, that's just them. They well, actually speak in real life out of well, sync. When we did the first, like, I don't know, three or four recorded ones that I filmed- we didn't use a clap because there is a program when you're uh, we're using Premiere, which is like an automatic sync. So you just take the footage from all three cameras, sound from all three cameras, you put it in a big bucket, the computer stirs it up and blends it out as one thing. So it's kind of that, you know, tech convenience. It's not the old fashioned editors would probably have a problem with doing something like that. And I found after four episodes that it wasn't perfect. And doing the clapper, we started clapping after that just looking at the waveform and seeing the peak of the wave and knowing that you can just move a frame of the exact moment the clapper will collapse, it just, it's more precise. Well, there you go. Well, see, okay, well, then I apologise. No, no, I didn't I didn't think you were, uh, like, poo-pooing the idea of clapperboards. You just were asking a genuine question. Yeah, I know, but here's what I would say. I think it would be unfair for me to categorise 
It is just being an inquiry. I think that I have been erring on the side of poo-pooing it. Oh, right. I believe that I have thought it was unnecessary and anachronistic. You want you have every film crew around the world to fire their camera assistants. I was just like, is this really helpful? Like, Look at you, couldn't... you fucking wolf of Wall Street coming into <laughs> film crews and just like streamlining them to maximize profit. <laughs> Yeah, I I know I'm sitting in the middle of you all doing your job (laughs) and I know nothing actually about how you do your job other than you are really good at doing your job. I'm going to second guess something you think is necessary. That happens all the time. I see it on sets all the time, especially with actors, is that they have no idea about what is going on technically, but they presume that they do. (laughs) And that they can do something that they haven't cleared or spoken about or whatever, and then get annoyed when someone says, hey, if you step out of where the light is shining, (laughs) we can't see your face. Like, really simple things. Like, I think there is a tendency with performers to be uh, (laughs) self-involved, to think this is where the money is, and all the other shit, catch up. I'm going to, look, hey, I'm a fucking fireball. I'm just going to do my thing. You grab it, you catch it, you do whatever you want with it, man. I'm going back to my trailer. Anyway, firstly, before you go on with the rest of the story, Charlie, I'd like to say I feel seen. (laughs) (laughs) Will Fireball Anderson. I come out, I burn bright. You catch it, fellas. I'm out here. No, I think there are performers who get to a level where that is the case like i don't imagine fucking robert de niro is doing more than one take these days like he's proved his metal we know he can act Mm. so i reckon he would be like and there'd be comedians for dirty grandpa he would just be like you get like half a a take (laughs) yeah you You get the first word (laughs) yeah he'll shoot a sentence over a week (laughs) i mean you do hear about like bruce willis apparently is notorious for being like the laziest actor and we'll just turn up, just, I'm going to do all my close-ups. You get three sizes, then I'm out of here. Get a body double. I don't care. Like, we routinely calls into th- places and says, uh, what are you shooting today? Nah, nah, I'm going to go to the baseball. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> but he keeps getting hired, so, like, who's laughing now? Well, he is, I imagine, right? Because at some stage during his life, he's made a decision about- Not giving a shit. But also whether he gives a shit about other people's feelings. Yeah. Right? So, th- it is a wonderful way to live your life, being so incredibly self-involved and only caring like about yourself. Like you're in Groundhog Day. <laughs> exactly, like No right? consequences. No consequences to your action, except yeah. that you actually do still exist in the real world and there are consequences to your actions. Like, if you go to the baseball, no matter how... Yeah, isn't it great that you've arranged your life so that you can tell people to get fucked and shoot something else because you want to go to the baseball? All those other people still have to get fucked and shoot something else. Yeah. Like, so it's how much you care about, um, you know, okay, other, well people's, let's, let's, other people's pain for your involvement. Let's role play this. So yes, okay. you be the producer who's calling me, okay. the arrogant actor who's taken the day off, right? right. And so, bring, bring. <laughs> Hello? Uh, yeah, is that, uh, is that Charlie? Yeah. Charlie, it's um, Will um, from the movie yep. that you're the lead in mm-hmm. at the moment. Uh, the producer of the film. Is this going to take very long? Because I'm I'm cooking I'm cooking pop tarts. Okay, so this is interesting to me because you're meant to be here on set at the moment, and uh, from your own admission, you've just admitted that you're at home cooking pop tarts. So yeah. um, I got I had a massive night last night. Got pretty drunk. Yeah, great. Um, that's that's fantastic. You know, I always encourage you to get out and about, loosen up. You know me. I'm I'm, I'm a fun guy. 
had some fun times together. That's why we call I. you the mushroom, right? Exactly right. They, that's what they call me. Like I've, I've asked you to It's stop, not about your dick, stop. is it? Because there are rumors. Okay, well, again, like it is now inappropriate in the industry we're working in for me to discuss what oh, my dick looks like. Hell. One of the politically correct producers, are you? I love what you're doing. Yeah. I love this whole renegade attitude to what you're doing. You got a it, point, buddy? Yeah, my point is this. That there are a lot of other people who work on this film and they all rely on you. In fact, I would argue that a lot of them look at you as a an idol. Somebody that they... <laughs> Hello. Oh. oh, boy. Oh, hang on. Oh, my goodness. We're having a little... Ice cream and Tim Tam break. Okay. Oh, actually, that does look pretty amazing. <laughs> awesome. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Um, well, this will be great. <laughs> interrupted. This will be great for the podcast. improv group. <laughs> Oh, boy. Mm. So Amy's brought in some delicious ice cream with Tim Tams in it. We did have a bit going, but I'm, I'm, I'm over it now. Oh, boy. Oh. Mm, yum. My point being, I reckon that dude, he, he would rationalise the idea of holding up a crew as being like, well, fuck, they're getting paid regardless, right? They're not going to shut down the production for one day. Besides, I told the director that those pages were shit, that we need to get a rewrite. He wouldn't listen to me. So if he's not going to take his job seriously, why should I take my job seriously? That would be a rationale, his rationale. But you should lead by example. You should be the person, your frustration with him not taking his job seriously, you, it, it, it doesn't even it out for you not to take your job seriously. It justifies the fact that he doesn't do his job seriously. The only way you can convince him to do, take his job seriously is that you take your job more seriously than he takes his job. I'm putting, I don't have any leverage unless I do this. If I want him to take his job seriously, because let me, I'm assuming that you've had words with him and you've told him that, you know, that we can't continue like this. Have you asked him to lift his game or are you just calling me? Oh, I've spoken to him as well, of course. And um, I want you guys to work together because I think together you're going to make something amazing. But I'll tell you what. Eventually, one of you is going to have to go from this. I'm just not going to go on like this with this I friction. You. I do. Of- you're going to get rid of me? Do you know how much money you already owe me? Do you know how much money I'm going to make from the merchandise from this? You're going to get rid of me. Have you spoken to my agent? Have you spoken to my manager? Have you spoken to my lawyer? Because I think they'd have a pretty negative view of this. Mm. How much money do you want to lose? I don't want to this lose. director's already got you two weeks behind and you're going to threaten me. I'm the only reason people are going to come see this film. You're not the only actor in the world. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. You know what? I want you to fire me because I want to take all your money and shut this shit mm. show down. I'll be laughing all the way to the bank. You think I give a shit? You've got nothing to threaten me with. Oh, I think we have plenty to threaten you with. I mean, there was a couple of incidents on the set that we kept pretty quiet over the next couple of weeks. But if you're released from your contract, if you're fired, then we have the rights to release all those non-disclosure documents we got signed on your behalf in the first couple of weeks of this shoot. I mean, that would be, yes, you would not be working on this film anymore and you'd probably have to save the money you made out of us because... Nobody in this town would touch you or hire you again after some of that got out. I could go to Bulgaria mm. and work for the next 10 years. And I do two weeks. Mm-hmm. I make double what you're paying me at the moment. Mm. I don't give a shit. That doesn't scare me. Good luck in Bulgaria. Here's a little book about the language of Bulgaria <laughs> for you to study. If you believe that is better than you just not going to the baseball today and you coming in. You know what? 
Pop your Pop-Tarts, put them in some foil, and you can eat them on the car. We've got a car out the front at the moment. You're going to come in here. If the director doesn't come in today, I'm going to keep paying the one who turned up to his job. Are you get- <laughs> Sorry. I think you must have gone through a tunnel or something. I just lost you for a second. Hang on. Are you eating ice cream while you're talking to me? Gelato. I'm eating gelato, <laughs> technically. Fuck you. <laughs> Click. <laughs> Scene. Uh, yeah, look. I nearly choked on it up. But, I mean, I reckon that is how those conversations would go. He doesn't give a shit, clearly. He doesn't try. I heard Nick and Meso talking about Hey, I'm not talking about Bruce Willis. I think it's Liam Neeson, but they're asking the question, why does Liam Neeson keep doing these? You know, like the last 10 years, every Liam Neeson film is a spin on Taken. He's some middle-aged man who's going to go out and kill some people for some reason. And they're like, why does he keep doing this? He doesn't need to. He's made enough money. You know, he's had critical success as well. But then I think it was Meso brought up that those guys can go to Bulgaria and the, say the budget of the film is like $15 million. He's going to get 10 and only has to work for like two weeks. So it's like, well, why would he give a shit? I mean, you couldn't threaten him with money. But what I would say about Liam Neeson is I think those movies are super watchable. I'm, ve- I'm very much in the... Because every now and again, there's an article about Liam Neeson's not going to make any of these movies anymore. And you're, I'm like, no. I, during lockdown, I have been aching for when I flip on the app, Apple TV that there might be some new Liam Neeson movie where like someone does him wrong and then he hunts them down. So like, what was the last one you remember seeing? I remember, I didn't see it, but I saw a billboard for something to do with being cold. Oh yeah, like, the wolves, where he like no, fights no, wolves. No, no, that was ages ago. Uh, the recent one where it's like, it's called, it's got one of those like Pulp Fiction crime thriller titles like Cold Death or oh, Dead yeah, Cold. He's or, the... Um, bad guy who has one more mission or he's like the cop on his final... <laughs> I mean, this could be any one of his... Films. He's a criminal who wants to admit to a crime that he got away with. And so um, Liam Neeson's character is, uh, yeah, like a, a great old criminal and um, he uh, confesses, He wants to confess to a crime and then gets mixed okay. up in. Is that... I mean, that? I think... Because the film I'm thinking of came out in 2019. Oh, okay, yeah. Since then, he's made six movies <laughs> in two years, which have the titles. So the film I was thinking of was called Cold Pursuit. I knew it was one of those kind of hard-boiled titles. Then there's Ordinary Love, Made in Italy. Oh, Cold Pursuit, I saw. Really good. Okay. I enjoyed it. But what is the, what is the plot of it? He's a sheriff. He's a... Yeah, in a country town and some bad shit goes down and then he hunts people down. Oh, no. Down. It's not even that. He hunts people a down with a... grieving snowplow Snowplow. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. He hunts them down with a snowplow. Seeks out revenge against the drug dealers who killed his son. Yeah. Fuck. With a snowplow. So is every one of these films about a relative of his gets killed? Oh, just... It does not necessarily a relative. He's just some, like, old... He's... You know what he... I mostly like him to be? A man with a certain set of skills. Yeah. That's, that's your prime... It's not even about the vengeance. He found his idea. It's about that people are fucking with someone. I, he's someone who just wants to go about his business now. He I, doesn't want to be out murdering people and hunting them down and having to snowplow yeah, a whole bunch of people hero. to death. He's a reluctant hero. But back in the day, he could fuck, he shit, could up. fuck shit up. All and right. you've just you've messed with the wrong person. Go with me here. That's the genre. I reckon Liam Neeson and Keanu Reeves 
have had very similar careers in the sense that they both sort of achieved initial fame as one kind of archetype or maybe like, you know, different flavors of the same kind of character, disappeared for a bit, then came back and readopted a new persona. So Liam Neeson was, remember he was mentor? He was like Rashal Ghul, he was Qui-Gon Jinn. If you needed a mentor, him and Morgan Freeman, yep. that were the two numbers on your speed dial. But that, now he's uh, like, you know, murderous middle-aged revenge man. Keanu was surfer dude, whoa. Kind of three, even like speed, point break. Matrix still, not surfer dude, but like, whoa. Disappears for a bit, John Wick. Now he's very comfortable being indestructible murder man. Do you see the similarities? Yeah, I absolutely do. And it gives me hope <laughs> that we've got another 15 or 20 years of John Wick movies. <laughs> or, you know, Keanu style, like, because I could easily, because Liam Neeson's got to be 10 years older than Keanu Reeves, right? Yeah, I think so. So I, if, if the next 10 years are Keanu Reeves making, like, Liam Neeson style movies, like where there's just, like, six of them a year and he just, like, shoots them and it's just him being sort of, like, going around killing people, I'd be fine with that. Is it appealing to the, the same demographic or is John Wick the kind of Gen X version of the boomer Liam Neeson? And if so, is there a millennial version? Oh, who's the next one? By the way, people hate when you eat I'm sorry, podcast, but it was but so delicious. We could not resist eating it. It was gelato and a Tim Tam. Two flavours of gelato with a bloody Tim Tam in it. And what sort of Tim Tam <laughs> was it? Because it was... Double coat. Yeah, it was. So <laughs> macadamia like and white chocolate gelato with pistachio <laughs> gelato. I nearly, nearly choked on one of those nuts. Um, <laughs> Podcast Mike, just take that clip. Just take that out in isolation. Send it to me. Stat. <laughs> and then the Tim Tam. And... We just, I know we both were like, oh, we should not be eating this and trying to keep going with this podcast, but it was just so tasty. Yeah. I think people by now know that what a part of, what, what part food plays in our lives and they may have got some enjoyment from it. That gelato is from uh, Benny Lato down the road. This uh, uh, wonderful man, I uh, like Benny, who has his own little gelato. Is his surname actually Lato? <laughs> yeah, he's in, in a big family of gelato makers. <laughs> Uh, so uh, his business is called Benny Lato, but his name is Benny and he makes gelato. I don't know how he got the name Benny Lato for the business, <laughs> but um, he's a really good guy and uh, uh, he makes a very nice uh, gelato, but he is a super salesman too. Mm. Like he's one of those guys who's so charming. So his gelato stand is next to the place I get coffee in the morning. Like the little town near where I live only has four shops like there's you know four shops in the entire strip so it's not like visit if you visit one place you see everyone at all of the places and so i'm when i'm getting my coffee and i'm standing outside he's often there with his gelato stand and we'll get chatting and if i get chatting to him i know i will buy something how much gelato do you reckon he moves every day amount he's there most days yeah and he always seems quite busy and does he do other places no, this is just like his permanent location. Yeah. I mean, because it is kind of not not remote, but it's, you know, it's a country town. Yeah. So, But he dominates. Yeah. There's no other place to get gelato that, in this town. He's that footballer. I think he's 18 in a grand right. final. <laughs> but he, then, <laughs> can he play it in the big leagues? Well, it's kind of the perfect demographic because there's a point where you're like, well, 
how much gelato do I need to sling, right? Yeah. Because if I'm slinging so much, suddenly there's a line. Suddenly, like, I need maybe two people behind yeah, the gelato stand. Right? I've got all these overheads. Maybe there is, like, a perfect number where you're just like, I can come up here. This is my business. Enough people come th- through here. I've got this new whale. I'm like a casino whale. I'm like <laughs> literally like, I'm an Asian gambler who's been like flown in by yeah. some crime syndicate to You're launder some money. <laughs> because every day when he sees me, he must be like, I bet I can I bet I can get him to eat some more. Yeah, he sees your Tofop South Park t shirt and he's like <laughs> I bet this guy's I bet this guy's hungry in the middle yeah. of the day. Oh yeah, but it's always like ten thirty in the morning or something. Right. Like I'm getting coffee. And so it's always way too early to like eat it because if it was like afternoon, I could just get like a cone or something, right? Yeah. But because it's ten thirty in the morning, I always get a tub because you're gonna eat it later. Because you're gonna eat it later. So when you buy treats for yourself, yes. like do you always have treats in the house, or is it like yes. okay, always right? So I guess they're not. How really- do you not do? You, how quickly do you go through them? Does stuff sit there? Like if you've got. I mean, I guess cake will only last two or three days, but like I bought some Tim Tams around tonight. How long will they last? I mean, not 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 very long. No, no. We like we both like like to sit on the couch at night if we're watching something or whatever and eat some like treats. Some treats. We are at the moment in a bit of a health foodie treat zone, but not that health foodie. Like there's still a bunch of chocolates and stuff, but it's like chocolate covered freeze-dried banana and like you know there's yeah. like you there's know, ways you can make yourself feel better <laughs> about stuff like well that. i mean we haven't really done it as a we're going to try to be more healthy we were in the health food shop buying some other mm. things and to be honest you kind of sometimes just get sick of the the treats you normally have and it's kind of like oh yeah we're just in a bit of a treatless phase yeah well no just more like a dark chocolate and ginger sort of phase than it's, a- you're in geriatric treat phase, <laughs> yeah like right. boiled lollies yeah my grandma used to love jelly beans lollies. there's a, been a, a bunch of jelly beans in the house yeah it's weird i kind of my I, now when i'm having treats because i can't have them in the house because they i my rationales are always once you put the first one in do the whole pack because otherwise i'm going to draw this out it's going to be a constant sort of thing i'm thinking about so I will double drop <laughs> like a wa- two wagon wheels at once and go about my business. But then what I've been doing now is is sort of trying to be a bit more spontaneous about it. So if I, rather than I'm going to get a Kit Kat or whatever, if I see something that looks really good, I get it. But I don't, I sort of rule out the kind of mundane on board treats and I right. try and go for, give myself a real treat, make myself feel special. Right, yeah, okay. I've so, been a yeah. good boy. Yeah, no, I understand that. And that, you know what? It's actually cut down the amount of treats I've been getting because I've eaten a lot of things, Will. <clears throat> but for instance, I was at this food market two weeks ago and there was a sourdough donut stand. And I'm very picky with my donuts and I didn't like the look of them, but I was like, you know what? They look like they've been fancied with their fillings and stuff. I'm going to go for it. My God, they were the four best donuts I ever ate. I don't feel like an urge now to go out and get like, I'm going to wait till next month when the market's back. I'm going to get another four donuts. So it's more about like this kind of having stuff to look forward to. So I haven't been drinking much at all, actually, for like a a while now. And um, uh, it's kind of the time has flown by because I initially sort of just stopped yeah, for Gruen, and then I just kind of was like, oh, I'm actually feeling a bit better not drinking, so I might just keep going. And then I ha- I've just this year, 
um, had a rule that like I just at my improv shows, I'll have a couple of drinks. It makes it just kind of like a, a fun night. You know, I, I kind of look forward to it. You know, it loosens me up a bit. Mm. But that's it. So I've done three of those this year. I've had like three nights where I've had a drink and otherwise I've just like alcohol free. So I've been leaning a little bit more into treats like even forgiving myself like giving myself a bit more permission to yeah, go to replace the alcohol with yeah yeah it's like a methadone <laughs> it does but i feel like that yeah. I, I don't feel like i've really missed the alcohol because yeah. i feel like i've got a payoff of going if i see like if i'm in yeah. a cafe or whatever and they've got a piece of cake that looks delicious i can just have the cake and not just really feel well there's that's the same rationale that like people who go well i went to the gym three times this week so i can have a slice of cake by not drinking, you're probably doing just as much good for your body. Like if I'm going to the gym three days a week, having that slice of cake, but also having beers on the weekend, then probably cancels out the gym. But you, by not drinking, probably are doing like more to keep weight off and stay healthy than than people who are drinking and exercising. Yeah. Well, I think I've Indiana jones it in that I think that I um, am probably exactly the same. Like I've replaced what... Like, you know, sometimes people lose weight when they stop drinking. I've kind of perfectly balanced the replacement of the amount of sugar and treats I'm taking in. So I I think I'm about exactly the same in regard to like weight and stuff. But um, but yeah, I've definitely been eating more treats. The other so Saturday night had a show. So like literally only had like four beers in total for the night, but woke up feeling a bit dusty on Sunday because I'm not Mm. drinking. So I went to the like this little uh, like shop, country shop, like, you know, that's- General store. A general store, right? But not the local one to me, one a little bit further on that has a little cafe attached to it. And uh, they did like a halloumi egg Mm. breakfast roll. And I don't know what the bread they made it on, but both Amy and I were like, "What, what is this? She goes- like, what does it taste like? And we both said at the same time, pikelets. It was like... Oh, that's soft, squishy. That, yeah. Oh. And the way they cooked it, it was like two pikelets and then just like this, like incredible... So like a flatbread? Was it like flat? a flatbread, but yeah, like... But sweet still and sweet and, s- and spongy. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And, and like... And then just like egg and halloumi and like spinach and like some great. sort of sauce and whatever. It was so good. But... Exactly what you were saying about that idea of going. So now I'm like, okay, well, next time I have a drink and I feel a bit dusty, I'm going to go and get like a bunch of those sandwiches, but I'm not going to ruin it by, because I can go there every second day and get mm. that sandwich, but I'm going to keep it's it. A, for it's a special boy. Special occasion. <laughs> yeah, I've been yeah. a good boy. Yeah. I think it's important. Well, no, it's important to me to have like rewards, but I, you know, sometimes you'll read about people who are super disciplined and. I've wonder like people who don't give themselves any of that kind of stuff, you know, whether it's like, you know, physically with their training and they run marathons or whatever like that, or they just don't allow themselves to kind of slip up. Do you think there is, that is, would be more strenuous? Like for you, if you were going to say like, I'm just not going to do anything, no vices, just like all about work and getting fit and blah, blah, blah. Do you think that requires more of your energy than I'm going to work and then, Maybe I'll eat something or maybe I'll feel bad. Maybe I'll wake up a bit dusty, but then deal with it. Like what's more taxing to your mental health and your energy levels? Dealing with the guilt or dealing with the kind of, uh, what's the word, abstinence? I've done both. 
like much more of one than the other. But I have done both. I've had periods of time in my life where I had everything's a, where I had a no crack, vices. Crack at just like uh probably not no vices actually, but like was living pretty clean, certainly very fit and like, you know. Um Is that when you first were in LA and you had the trainer yeah. and stuff? Yeah, you were very fit. Yeah. Very, very working I, very it hard. It was just like, yeah, it was a specific time in my life and like I gave that a crack. I think that I feel better now than I did then. So, you know, just in a general sense of like what it is that I like if about had, life. If if, some, if something big had clicked in that mode, like you landed a huge TV deal or had gotten cast in a film or something like that, do you think that you would still be in that mode because fuck, like it worked? Or, I mean, I guess it's impossible to answer, but. Well, no, because it's like, I mean, you know, The Rock just kept, you know, it's keeping up that being the work rock, ethic, right? Yeah. Like there, there hasn't been a point where the rock's like, oh well, you know what? I can let keep myself back. go now, keep back, like not keep trying so hard, you know, not work so hard. You know, he's got enough money; he doesn't need to keep doing anything. Mm. Like, so I don't know. It's an interesting question. It's like a interesting hypothetical. I would suggest that what I know about myself is what like the things that make me happy. Mm. I think I'm mostly made happy by small things. Yep. Like I'm not really a person who's into world domination. Yeah. But also no, I, but even just like, I'm going to buy a boat or I'm going to like have this right, thing right. or like, I don't derive like great pleasure from like, he's my expensive pair of shoes that I own or, or yeah. whatever the equivalent is. Right. I like freedom. Yeah. Like the freedom that money and, and yeah, I like that. Yeah. But I like, yeah, I like to be able to like, you know, sleep when you want and eat what you want Freedom. and like yeah. just watch some TV. Like, I I kind of enjoy that more than like the trappings that might come with something that look more successful than that. So I think, no, I don't think that I would have. Very, it's a, I mean, it's a impossible question, well, I, think, I suppose. But well, I well, if you just, but if you look at the way your life has gone, because I don't think I'd be necessarily any different. I like you have gone through phases of like incredible discipline and focus. And that has worked for me, like has brought me success or take me to places that I was like, oh shit. But what I've realized is that I'm constantly changing and something that I was really good for me and worked for me 10 years ago is not necessarily the same person I am now. Like I'm always very surprised when I sort of look back sort of five years, 10 years and, you know, um, I was cutting a, a birthday video for my sister and look at family photos and it's like, Jesus Christ, like, I remember so clearly what my worldview was as a 10-year-old, as a 17-year-old. as a, And it's so different. Like, and, you know, that is kind of one of, that is one of the things that I'm certain of is that I will change again in 10 years. So I don't think I would put all my, I, maybe I'd do it for a while, but then eventually exhaustion or distraction or something would take you out of it. And you'd see that things work out okay. Because that's what's happened in my real life is that I've let go of that, you know, totem or whatever I thought was making me happy or bring, and things have been fine. Things have worked out. Like, I think like for health reasons, I could see myself, like I could see the benefits of being, you know, you know fitter and just like a bit more health conscious. Like, you know, you, you, you get to a certain age where you're just like aware of the fact that if you're not, like both my parents have type two diabetes, right? So like my, the way I eat and stuff. More ice cream. <laughs> It's probably fine for me now, but it's not necessarily something that you need to do for the next 15 or 20 years because then it becomes problematic. It's in your yeah. genetics. And so it, I've been really surprised. Like, this is, like, I mean, this is so stupid, but 
Like, so I finally, now that I'm on the medicinal cannabis, is I've finally made the switch to the vaporizer. And so I've been using the vaporizer. And between the fact that I haven't been drinking and that I've basically given up cigarettes because I'm on the vaporizer now, that to me feels like too really big. Like, even though, but I don't feel like I have been like in a, like if someone said, do you feel particularly like, healthy or mm. like mo- like focused or motivated or whatever those two things have just been really natural yeah. progressions from me just having time to it wasn't like you hit rock bottom no. or some cal- calamitous thing forced you to abandon these things it was just very organic yeah no they've, they've, they've literally just been things that came about because i just started to feel a bit like i think maybe i just feel a bit better and you know <laughs> living like this than the other way and so yeah. they both feel like Another like particularly with the the booze, mm. I've always said because I never said I was like giving up or anything. I just said I'm just not like mm. drinking at the moment. And the funny thing about having these few nights where I have had a drink is like it's more than enough. Yeah, like it's not like I haven't enjoyed the drink that I had, but I just I'm just like nah, this is this is I'm I'm fine. Yeah, I've had the same change where the first beer is always great. I love it. And then the second one, I'm like, Ugh. and if I get to a third, which is very rare these days, it's it's never any good. Gemma and I went out first time with a babysitter a couple of week, weeks ago. We had some friends organize um, dinner and drinks and four couples, all with young kids, um, all with babysitters. And so we were so excited. Like Gemma and I, we got dressed up and, and met the babysitter. She was great. Felt really good about that. And so we caught this Uber out and um and there was cocktails and good conversation with, you know, new friends and we're in a new place. Everything was just fucking great. And I had a couple of cocktails and then half the group broke off because they had to go see the babysitter and then the other half kicked on to a pub. But when we got to the pub, like it was, it was chasing the dragon. Like we got there and, you know, half the group is gone now and so the vibe's a bit different and now you're in a pub with a sport on TV and we're all like dressed up because we've come from a restaurant and like 10 years ago, that wouldn't, I wouldn't give a shit, you know, there's alcohol and that's why you're there. So I don't care where we're drinking or what I'm wearing or anything like that. But this was our special night. I'd been a good boy. He's <laughs> <laughs> detecting a theme, Well, <laughs> But it was just funny. Like it's just the, the social aspect, you know, part of... Um, what Jim and I were looking forward to moving up here is we actually have a bunch of friends who just coincidentally have all moved up to the same area around the same time. And, uh, you know, Jim was saying, I reckon we'll see our friends more, even though we live further apart now than we did in Sydney. Cause Sydney's just one of those towns where it's just, I don't know, you're just busier. It's harder to get around. It's expensive, all that kind of stuff. And sure enough, like, We've seen our friends, but the great thing is, yeah, we've met at a pub or an RSL or, or down at the beach or whatever, but it's predominantly been about like catching up and having, you know, not getting wasted, just having like a couple of drinks or whatever. But it's just been this, I said to Jim, are we growing up? <laughs> like, is this what happening? We've well, moved into Getting old. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not hating it. I've got to be honest <laughs> with you. Like, I'm like, and I still feel like a fucking, like a, just a total dork. You know, like still like, like a teenager. At times. Oh, well, you, don't you think that you, I mean, maybe I'm interested in your perspective because you've got like a child now. Yeah. So there is some element of like the reality of <laughs> that situation <laughs> yeah. because I don't feel like I know anything. I don't know anything. 
I have that thought <laughs> multiple times a day where I see her and she's so delightful and I'm seeing her like make sense of the world. And, and you obviously have these in like, you know, deeply held things of I want to protect and guide. But then I'm like, you, <laughs> what are you going to protect her from? What advice are you going to give her? You're a fucking podcaster, dude. <laughs> like, unless she wants a career in like a like an alternative media industry, right. <laughs> a little well, known non-profitable alternative media industry. I don't know, man. It is that constant thing of, but Foz actually gave me some advice just before Iona was born, which is like, you just need to keep them well-fed, warm and safe. And if you just keep those basic principles, like we took her to the beach today and uh, she loves water, no fear surf beach and so she crawled into the water and so you she's not quite walking yet so you've got to kind of keep an eye on her because she's low to the water and this wave just kicked up and hit her yeah. and she went under and she rolled like three or four times and yeah. came out and you know spat water out and it's like a real heart-stopping thing and gave us both a real fright but at the same time it's like well she's fine and we were there and if something bad had happened we could have got her somewhere and countless this is going to happen countless more times and but what are you going to do like this is the decision we've made and the the reward i'm getting from it and the day-to-day kind of the the grounding it gives you i'm terrified about what the future might bring i'm terrified about going home and you know something happening and not knowing what to do but you know you could say that about a lot of aspects of my life you know i don't i'm not on a set path with anything will you know i, I don't have a regular job i don't you know, work regular hours, I'm pursuing this kind of career that has no guarantees, no security. So adding a fucking life into the mix, you know, it's just, I'm juggling chainsaws and now you want to throw like a flaming torch in? Sure. I might get burnt, but fucking hell. Like I haven't saw, saw, you know, cut myself up yet. But I guess that's like, yeah. So, I mean, part of that is, yeah, you've moved to a place where you can have like a, like nice, you know. Space. Space and like, you know, environment to like raise your child so basically essentially what you've done is you've gone you know what hillary clinton i reckon you were onto something with it takes a village to raise your child and so we're going to move to a better village yeah because <laughs> we need to we need the village to be doing some of the responsibility of raising this child because we're not going to be able to nail all of it ourselves yeah and and, and you do see like i i'm very skeptical Everyone who that I know has kids says to me, oh, wait till you meet parents of this kids the same age as you. It's the yeah. best. And I'm like, no, I don't want any more friends. I'm not going to be friends with someone just because we both have kids. It seems like a dumb reason to become friends. But already yeah, <laughs> we've started to make friends with yeah. people. Because when that happens, like there's immediate, suddenly there's four right. pairs of eyeballs on the situation. You're giving advice. You're trading knowledge. Like... And it is a form of protection. Like you can dump, dump, you can dump your kid at that person's house in an emergency if you need to. Like, so yeah, it it it, it, it does make sense. Like I, it, when I think about living in Sydney, I and I love Sydney, and I, I have nothing but fond memories from there. But because you can't afford to live in a community, because you're generally in high density living, or no, don't even really have backyards where kids can go and kick a footy. Like it's not a very communal place apart from the beach, but. Um, up here, there is just definitely that feeling of, you know, everyone's watching out for everyone else. It's really nice because I can't fucking do it. No, thank God. <laughs> That's what you're saying. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> we made it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to pretend they're not vaccinated, but other than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is. 
Quite a bit of that. Uh, let's just say I take hand sanitizer to the park and I scrub every bar that I see a, a sus-looking kid licking. I'm like, I right, before you get on that, let me just fucking <laughs> Clorox that because I reckon that kid has never seen a needle. You want to go on the swings? Daddy will get his hazmat suit. <laughs> How long are we done? Uh, it's about uh, 40 minutes, okay, about 37, cool. 38. All right. Well, we've got one letter that we can get to that okay. I thought um, uh, we can probably delve into a bit deeper. Uh, by the way, we should mention that uh, the TOEFOP 12, TOEFOP 12 were officially inducted this week, uh, marked by some beautiful original artwork by James Fosdyke. Um, now, that was originally going to be a prize just for the TOEFOP 12, but it is so damn good. We've put it up on Redbubble and you can get it in any form, T-shirts, long sleeve posters, whatever. Um, it's one of his coolest pieces, I reckon. And also, uh, great piece of art. Amy saw it today. She was like, oh, I love that new Foz poster. And she goes, what's that about? Oh, how far do you reckon into me trying to explain what that was about? Amy decided she was not interested in me explaining what it was about. <laughs> uh, like two, three words. And I, I got through Biggest Horse in all of Norway. Right. And I lost a lot of interest after that. But I led with what I thought I might keep her into the story. Uh, so if you want to get a copy of that, you can go to redbubble.com. Uh, you can also go to tofop.com and check out some of our other great podcasts. Will does one called Willosophy. Who's on this week? Uh, this week on the show, Tom Tilly, former host of Hack and uh, the Daily Beef- Briefing podcast, which is uh, people uh, really like that show, Jan Fran and uh, Jamila Rizvi and a whole bunch of really uh, excellent people. It's a daily news podcast. So Tom Tilly, he's a really good guest, actually, like really cool stories. Uh, and later this week, Corey Tutt returns, who was the New South Wales Young Australian of the Year, who started the organisation Deadly Science, which is helping Indigenous literacy in this country. And he's a really cool guy, Corey. So he's back on the show just talking about uh, the changes in his life since we last spoke. Uh, two guys, one cup. Uh, the guest is Shane Delia, uh, probably uh, the most beloved bulldog celebrity supporter going around. Take that, Chris Hemsworth. Uh, judging from the feedback, he is a beloved figure. Yeah, uh, not just him. at the at the kennel, but you know, footy wide. Uh, really great chat. And coming up this week is Dave Thornton talking about the cats. You heard him briefly after the grand final, but he was he's quite heartbroken. So we get into more deep cats chat this Friday. Ah, uh, that'll be great. I love Thorno. Uh, so this came in from Anthony. Headline is: Meanwhile in Colombia. Okay. Hey, Will and Charlie, with all the talk about sheep jokes recently, I remembered that there was a documentary nearly 10 years ago about donkey love in Colombia, and he sent us a link to an article in the Sydney Morning Herald. Okay. So this is from 2012. The headline, Donkey Sex Gets Thumbs Up from Senses, <laughs> by Andrew Taylor. <laughs> a film depicting bestiality gets a surprising pass from the classification board. Uh, Gay sex is more likely to offend the standards of morality and decency than men having sex with donkeys, as far as Australia's senses are concerned. A film depicting sex acts between men and donkeys was screened at the Sydney Film Festival last week after an exemption from the classification classification board was granted. The federal government agency responsible for classifying films, the classification board, did not ask to view donkey love before granting permission for it to screen at the Melbourne Underground Film Festival and Sydney Underground Film Festival. No film can be publicly screened in Australia without first being rated by the classification board, which may refuse its classification if it offends the standards of morality and decency. However, it may permit festivals to screen films that have not been rated. In contrast, the classification board banned LA Zombie, 
which features a zombie character having homosexual sex with dead bodies from being screened at the Melbourne International Film Festival in 2010. The director of the classification board, Donald McDonald, not the footballer, right? I imagine not the footballer. So there's two people in Australia called Donald McDonald. I reckon there's more than two people in Australia called Donald McDonald. What's the deal with calling your son Donald when you're McDonald? Well, I mean, you got Ronald McDonald, you got Donald McDonald. I feel like it just... It's just, done, though. Is it? Yeah. Like Lawson Clawson? That's, if my name was Lawson Clawson. <laughs> Lawson McClawson. We should put a book in it. That'd be better. <laughs> the director of the classification board, Donald McDonald, told The Age he refused to grant the film an exemption from the classification to screen at the festival because the film, if classified, would be classified as X-18 uh-huh. or RC. And in this circumstance, the law requires the classification board director to refuse such an exemption. The director of the Sydney Underground Film Festival, Stefan Propescu, said he was surprised the classification board had not asked for more information about Donkey Love or to view it before granting the festival permission to screen it. Why don't you think they asked? I mean, it's called Donkey Love. Clearly. Did you think it was an animated... Like a hilarious Pixar movie. Oh, they thought, yeah, okay, new from Pixar. <laughs> yeah, Donkey Love. Oh, hang on. Yeah, it's just, a, left it's the just kids a cartoon donkey with a right, like the DreamWorks raised eyebrow. <laughs> so, uh, I think no. I think it wasn't. Weren't they just choosing not to see it in the name of you know, allowing free Artist. expression and art? I guess like so. they knew that if they did see it, that. It, it would then not be able to be shown. So the only way they could get around that was by not seeing it. Yeah. Yes. Donkey Love, which purports to be a documentary. So the, I think this is the author of the article, a bit suspect on it. So it might be, maybe I'm thinking like a Borat type thing because it's okay. a comedy. Donkey Love, which purports well, to be a documentary. Of course it's a comedy. I mean, you don't have to explain <laughs> that this film where a man has sex with a donkey. No, when I read this article, I thought maybe it was like like a, a serious art house documentary because it's a it's like they're focusing on the culture of donkey. Oh, donkey you're thinking love. about Don Quixote. <laughs> it's a documentary, it purports to be a documentary about yeah. the tradition of Colombian men having sexual relations with donkeys uh, and it won Best Documentary at the Melbourne Underground Film okay. Festival. I was very nervous about awarding it, said Richard Wollstonecroft, the director of Muff. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's a controversial... I hope the headline in the Muff newsletter, by the way, was Donkey Gong. (laughs) It's a controversial film. (laughs) But jury head Gene Gregoritis... Yep. Gregoritis. Yep. But Gene Gregoritis was very insistent it should win. (laughs) Coincidentally, Gene also owns a donkey farm. (laughs) He was crying. He said it was the most beautiful film he'd seen since Titanic. (laughs) Not true. I made that last bit up. (laughs) One scene, Will, in Donkey Love shows the filmmakers laughing as they film Mm. a man committing an act of bestiality on the side of the road. Mm. The director of Donkey Love, Daryl Stoneage, said the film had divided audiences but had not been banned overseas. Mm. You make half the room never want to talk to you again and the other half come up to you and tell you what a pair of balls you must have to make a film like this, he said. Mm. I think when people actually see the film, they get desensitised to the act pretty fast Mm. and are able to watch the funny and informative documentary about a cultural practice that most people don't know anything about. However, he said the whole film had made him feel uncomfortable. (laughs) Stone Age was unapologetic about treating the cultural practice of bestiality, which many people would find abhorrent and illegal, with humour. I'm guessing the same people would have a hard time wrapping their heads around a country full of bestiality, he said. 
too bad. There should be more funny documentaries. I know I think I know I think that about every time I watch the 20th documentary about 9/11 being an inside job or some documentary narrated by Leonardo DiCaprio or Matt Damon telling me that what's melting or that I should recycle more. You know what I love? <laughs> Is the, the fucking this is the best now because this is the director, yeah, the director of Donkey Daniel Love. Stone Age, <laughs> Daniel Stone Age has some Martin Sco- has some Martin Scorsese esque opinions <laughs> about the film industry, and he realizes this is his time to get them off his chest. This is my favorite line. If you don't think a country full of people having sex with donkeys is funny, yeah. then maybe there's something wrong with maybe you. you. <laughs> You're the problem. <laughs> so indignant about his bestiality he, film. He, you know what he is? On the front foot. Yeah. He is answering he a lot of questions. the uncle who tells a racist joke yeah. at a family dinner and when everyone gets upset, oh, he's like, what? I'm just having a laugh. What? You don't think that's funny. No, we're uh, we dead inside, are we? Oh, God, oh. Come on, Graham. You thought think- this was Christmas, not a bloody oh. funeral. <laughs> Daryl. Uncle Daryl, sit down. Oh. The film does not have an Australian distributor yet, but Tyler Chandler from the film's production company said he'd be happy to screen the film at other film festivals. We don't have any specific policies on bestiality because it's illegal in Australia, said a spokeswoman for the RSPCA. Oh, okay, hang on. (laughs) It's not him. For a minute. That's what I thought too. I thought that was him. We don't have, I'll do a different voice. We don't have any specific policies on bestiality because it's illegal in Australia. Well, that's a dumb reason not to have... No, well, you can... I mean... They must have policies, You right? probably don't have to say you don't have specific policies on it. You probably could have just said it's illegal in Australia and people could have implied... Well, she does pull have, up with... Yeah. But from our perspective, it's unacceptable in any yeah, form. Oh, good. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, you should just clear up. We are the RSPCA. <laughs> we are against it. We don't really need to think it through. We're against it. Uh, all right. We don't want to play your pin the cock on a donkey game. <laughs> Uncle Daryl. Uh, that's the end of the episode. Yep. Um, have we plugged everything? We did the website. Uh, Patreon. Patreon. Um, there is a bonus episode up there at the moment uh, where we do a deep dive on flat earth theories and we'll be recording uh, a reaction video to Elias's, uh, Elias's brother's world's biggest uh, water slide or whatever he called it in his email. So we'll be mm. posting that very soon. So if you want to join Patreon, patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP, bunch of great content in there and you're really helping us out. It's actually been amazing. The, the amount of support, I, I get notifications every time a new person joins up and that's my shit's been blowing up. Oh, been blowing great. up. Thank, so you thank you to, to everyone. Yeah, up. we obviously, um, you know, want to be doing more stuff and the, your support makes that possible. Go get yourself... Uh, Tofop 12. Oh, yeah, Tofop 12 t shirt. Red Bubble t shirt. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. (laughs) 